In our sermons today, we want to overview the book of Galatians, and we want to do this thematically. We're going to be looking at six points, three of them this morning and three of them this evening, and the theme, as you see on the PowerPoint behind me, is walk by faith like Abraham so that you do not desert God. And the Apostle Paul actually gets to uh, talk about faith in chapter 3. So this morning we have to work our way up to chapter 3. And we'll talk about chapter 3 beginning this evening, Lord willing. And so this morning we're going to be talking from chapters 1 and 2. And the first thing we want to talk about is this word to desert. What does it mean to desert? And uh, th this is used in, uh, early, in, uh, early in the epistle. And I think it's in verse 6 as I turn over there. I've got to get over there. I believe it's in verse 6 that he uses that. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him, that you're deserting God. And we'll talk about what that means as we go through the lesson this morning. But to desert means to leave, to run away from, to abandon, and thus we're unable to fulfill our duties and our obligations. It's like a friend deserting a friend. If you desert a friend, you leave your friend all alone and uh, you can't help your friend because you've deserted. It's like a husband who may desert a family, leaves his wife all alone to raise the children and does not help in any way. He's not fulfilled his obligation, his duty. He's left her all alone, left the children all alone without him. And it's like one who may be a deserter in the army he deserts or leaves his military post and cannot fulfill his obligations. Well, turn over in the Old Testament with me to Jeremiah chapter 52. Chapter 52. And here we see that Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, king of Babylon, comes against Jerusalem. And I want to read just a few verses and notice that the, some of those in Jerusalem were deserters. Begin with me following along in verse 12, Jeremiah 52, verse 12. Now on the tenth day of the fifth month, which was the fifteenth year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the bodyguard, who was in the service of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He burned the house of the Lord, the king's house, and all the houses of Jerusalem, even every large house he burned with fire. So all the army of the Chaldeans who were with the captain of the guard broke down all the walls around Jerusalem. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the guard, carried away into exile some of the poorest of the people, the rest of the people who were left in the city, the deserters who had deserted to the king of Babylon, and the rest of the artisans. So here were some of those in Jerusalem they deserted. They fled away. They left. They gave themselves up to the Chaldeans. And these people, in doing this, giving themselves away, they deserted. They abandoned their city. They abandoned their nations. And they abandoned fellow citizens. So they deserted. Now let's go over also to Acts chapter 15. And let's look at another example. Now from the New Testament. Let's look at another one who deserted. In Acts chapter 15 and beginning in verse 36. Here Paul and Barnabas are getting ready to go on their second missionary journey. And they have a disagreement regarding John Mark. Now let's begin reading. Follow along in verse 36. After some days Paul said to Barnabas, 
let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with him also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia. John Mark had deserted. He had left them. He had abandoned them. He had not fulfilled his evangelistic duty. He had deserted. He had deserted them. John didn't do his work. He left others to take up the slack. He did not fulfill his responsibility as an evangelist, and he deserted his friends. He deserted his duty. He deserted his obligations because he had turned back to go back to Jerusalem rather than continuing, continuing on with the work. Now we see from Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6 that we can desert God. We can leave him. We can run away. We can abandon God. That's what we're going to be talking about today. When we do this, or if we do this, we would no longer be his friend because we've left him. We've run away. We've abandoned God. And we've not fulfilled our duties and obligations. Well, we don't want to do that. We don't want to desert God as many had done in Galatia that we read about. So there are many good lessons from this epistle, these six chapters for us to learn, and that is our goal throughout our lessons today. First of all, we want to notice that we are not to desert God by following different gospels. Look again with me in Galatians chapter 1. And verse 6, Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6. Here the Apostle Paul says, writing to them, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. You see, they had believed the gospel of Jesus Christ, those things which the Apostle Paul had taught they had believed these things. They were doing those things. But when they left the gospel of Jesus Christ and went to a different gospel, they deserted God. They left God. They abandoned God. They no longer fulfilled their obligations. So if we turn away to a different gospel, if we turn away to a different book that we follow, if we turn away to something else other than the Word of God, then we abandon God. We turn away, we run away, we abandon God. But also look in verse 7. We don't have to turn away to a completely different gospel. If we simply turn away from the gospel of Christ to distort it, maybe in one one little way, then we also abandon God in that way. Verse 7, Paul says, he says, speaking of this which they had done, which is really not another. He says, you've turned away to a different gospel, which really is not another. Notice what he says in verse 7. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So if we take up a different book, a different gospel, maybe it is the Koran, we desert God. 
But we don't have to go that far. We can take the Word of God and just distort it in one simple way. And in doing that, we also abandon, we also leave God. You remember in Galatia the problem was there were false teachers there. The Apostle Paul calls them false brethren. And they were teaching that you had to be circumcised and keep the Mosaic law to be saved and go to heaven. They were accepting practically everything taught within the gospel, but distorted it in one way, in one area. And so Paul says, I am amazed that you are deserting God. And you think of one who is deserting another. You think of two friends, and one friend deserts the other, leaves him there all by himself to fight a fight, and there is no help, and he gets beat up. He was deserted. You think of the husband that deserts the family and leaves the wife all alone to raise the family and gives her no help, no aid, no money, no child support. She's left there all alone to do it by herself. What do you think about the deserter? That's a bad thing. And we desert God. If we turn to another gospel, or even if we desert, even if we even if we distort the gospel of Christ, Peter speaks of those in 2 Peter 3.16 who twist the scriptures to their own destruction. They're taking the scriptures, they're taking the word of God, but they distort it, they twist it. If we do that, we desert God. Now let's look at a couple of other scriptures. Go with me to down to verses 8 and 9, and then we'll turn over to verse 5. Those individuals who do this, these teachers who they'll, they'll bring in a different book, they'll bring in a different gospel, or they'll take the gospel of Christ and twist it and distort it. Notice what it says about them in verses 8 and 9. But even if we are an angel from heaven, should preach to, a, to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. This is lost Damned to hell without any hope of salvation. This is the strongest word in the Bible that I can think of. Regarding one who is lost, let him be accursed. Now, how many times in the Bible does Paul repeat himself? Not very often. But notice in verse 9, he repeats and emphasizes this point. James says, do not let many of you be teachers because as teachers you have a stricter judgment. Now that doesn't mean we should shirk our responsibilities, but that we should take it with all gravity. That if we teach something that's wrong, even from the scriptures, if it is wrong, here they were saying, well, you've got to be circumcised. Well, really, how big a deal is it to be circumcised, you know? But they were teaching this as a matter of salvation. And so it was a huge deal. And those who followed the teaching had deserted God. And those who were teaching it were accursed. Now go over to chapter 5 and verse 4. Chapter 5 and verse 4. And if you would, I, I know you're familiar with the scripture here, but pay special attention to it. We're not going to talk about it, talk about it tonight when we get to this chapter. We'll be talking about other things. But notice of those who had followed the teaching of these individuals, 
Paul calls them false brethren. They were brethren. They had been baptized into Jesus Christ, but they were distorting the gospel. They were twisting it. They were accursed because they were doing that. And the individuals who followed their teaching of those, Paul says, Galatians 5, 4, you have been severed from Christ. You have been cut off. What a horrible thing to be cut off from Christ. You know, when we're baptized into Jesus Christ, we're buried with him, we rise up together with him, that we are united with him. I tell you something, if we follow someone who's distorting the gospel of Christ, even in one thing, we are cut off. What a terrible thought. And what else does he say? We've been severed from Christ. You have fallen from grace. And if we're severed from Christ and we're fallen from grace, there's no hope of being saved unless we repent and correct our lives. Now let's go to a couple of other scriptures that Paul writes to Timothy, the evangelist. And notice some things that he says in the same vein of thinking. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. And, and, and in both of these scriptures, the, the apostle Paul is talking about those who would come forward with such false doctrines. And he says in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and in verse 3, if anyone advocates a different doctrine, and does not agree with sound words. Now this would be applicable with both of the things we're talking about this morning. If someone were to bring a different book, a different gospel, uh, by a different prophet, and bring it forward, or if someone would take and distort the gospel of Jesus Christ, twist it to their own destruction, he says if anyone advocates these things, those things of the Lord with which the... Uh, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, verse 4, he is conceited and understands nothing. Understands nothing. And so we have some insight into these individuals. Those who would come and bring some other book. Those who would bring some other doctrine. Those who would bring some other religion. Those who would bring a teaching of another prophet. They are conceited and understand nothing. Now that sounds pretty harsh. But that's what the word of God says. And that does not mean we look at them and uh, down badly at them. That doesn't mean that, 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 that we still don't love them. It doesn't mean that we don't speak the truth in love, but that's the truth. They're conceited and they understand nothing, and so we understand this about them. Go to one other scripture with me in that 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3. Now, this is talking about those individuals who, who are not wanting to do the right things. What they're going to do, they're going to heap up for themselves these teachers that are going to teach all these false doctrines that they're just going to tickle their ears and tell them what they want to hear. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, by wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. 
People who do not want to do the right thing are going to find someone that's teaching what they want to hear. It was not long ago, someone contacted me through our website, and he says, says do you believe this about that? Basically asked, do you believe what the scripture teaches on this verse? I said, well, of course we do. And he writes back again, well, do you believe this about that? I said, no, we don't believe that. He said, I would come to your church. Of course, it's not my church, but that's what he said. I would come to your church if you didn't believe this. I said, well, I'm sorry. In other words, he wanted someone to teach what he wanted to hear, and he wasn't going to get that here because it wasn't what the Bible taught. And so there are people who are accumulating false teachers who will tickle their ears. Now, false teachers understand this. They know that this is the way the world works. That there are a lot of people out there just wanting people to tell them what they want to hear and to make them feel good and to justify their actions and behaviors. So men, knowing this, have become very smart about this. And there's been this research about church growth and how to make a super church. And the best at this is Rick Warren. And, and, and very simply, I'll tell you what I'll tell you what he teaches. He goes and he teaches churches and people how to do this. You go to your community and you poll. You poll what people believe and what they want to hear and what they want to wear when they come to church and what kind of music they want to listen to. And then you provide that and you can build the biggest building you want to build and you will fill it up. So people know that. They understand. Tell them what they want to hear and you can fill the buildings up. And the Bible tells us people are going to do that. Now, our responsibility, we have a big responsibility. What is it? Go with me over to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. What is our responsibility? Ephesians chapter 4, and, and just pulling out a few verses here, not spending a lot of time, but verse 11. Here speaking about those in the church. And he, that's speaking of Christ, gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. Why? Verse 12. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Verse 15. Skip over to that. Oh, excuse me, verse 14. Skip over to that. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. You see, this is our responsibility. To grow, to learn, to teach. So that we know the Word of God. So that we are grounded in the Word of God and we are not swept away by every wind of doctrine that just blows by to draw people away from God, that they desert God. And so you see our responsibility. Our responsibilities as Christians, our responsibility when we come together to encourage, to uplift one another. The importance of our Bible classes Bible teachers, the importance of your work and your labor. Students, the importance of your work and your labor and your preparation. Bible classes aren't just something we do a couple of minutes before we come to church on Sunday morning or a couple of minutes before we go to bed and we're dead tired. 
If we're not equipped, if we're not ready, if we're not prepared, what's going to happen? We will be swept away by every wind of doctrine that comes our way. In verse 15, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ. Now notice verse 16, every single person has an important part. Every single person has an important part from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every, what every joint supplies. Everyone, everyone in Christ here this morning, no matter your age, you have something important to add. What every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. We all have an important part. Now look with me also over to Hebrews chapter 12. And, and it's here just a little bit differently. And, and here the apostle says, see to it. We are to see to something. Well, we have a responsibility. We are to see to something. What does he say? Verse 15, Hebrews 12, 15. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. Now notice we, we read in Galatians chapter 5 verse 4 those who had fallen from grace. Paul says here, make sure nobody comes short of the grace of God. How do we do that? By grounding, by teaching, by learning. And each of us have a personal responsibility. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no, one, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled, that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. He said, don't be like Esau. He sold his birthright. The comparison here, here is our birthright as children of God. Some sell their birthright for one moment of sin and never repent of those things and come back to the Lord. And he said Esau later in verse 17 when he wanted to get it back, he couldn't get it back. Even with tears and weeping, he could not get it back. And there are some who have passed from this life and you cannot get it back. I hear parents sometimes bemoan the fact that when they were young with their young children, they were not faithful to the Lord. And now they come back later in life and their children have all grown and they were not raised in the Lord. And they bemoan the fact although they are saved as the parents, the children are lost because they wasted all of those years. They did not see to it as parents when their children were young. And now it's too late because they don't have that influence any longer. And many of them see their children go to the grave. Never coming to the Lord. And some of them, some of those parents go to the grave without any hope. Because as the time of their death, those children have not come to the Lord yet. We are to see to it. We have a responsibility to the best of our ability that each one here remains faithful to the Lord and does not come short of the grace of God. We all have a responsibility. If we distort the gospel of Christ in any way or follow one who were to distort it, we desert God. We turn away 
We leave him. We abandon him. We do not fulfill our responsibilities. We desert God who gave his son, Jesus Christ, to come to this earth and save us. And we desert Jesus who died and bled on the cross. We desert him also. Don't desert God by following a different gospel. But also, don't desert God by sinning in order to please other people. Peer pressure, we often talk about peer pressure. And it's a very tempting thing to do. First of all, let's notice from the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 10 that he did not sin to please other people. In Galatians chapter 1 verse 10, Paul says, For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? Rhetorical questions. Of course he was seeking to, to please God. Of course he was not striving to please men. If he were, what would have happened? Would he still be persecuted? No, that persecution would have ceased. The Apostle Paul did not sin in order to please other people. And also, notice this, Galatians chapter 2 and verse 11. The Apostle Paul did not sin to please other brethren. Remember what's happening here in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 11? That, that uh, Peter and Barnabas and other Jews were there, and, and everything was fine, and they were eating with the Gentiles. But when some brethren came from Jerusalem, from James, then all of a sudden they started being hypocritical, and they stopped doing that. And notice that Paul had to confront them. He confronted Peter publicly. Notice what happens here in verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. And when they came, he began to withdraw him, uh, to, to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, and then he continues on with that. It's tempting to sin in order to please other people, but it's very tempting to sin in, other, in order to, to please other brethren. And sometimes that sin may be just, just letting things go. Just not saying anything to keep peace. Well, whatever it may be, that, that was the case here that Paul was, was faced with. It would be very easy. Here was Cephas, the apostle Peter. It would be very easy just to say nothing, just to let it go by. You know, he's an apostle. He'll leave soon and it'll be all okay. Now, don't you hear that sometimes, you know, some brethren... Some brother will be very outspoken about something. He maybe won't have a very good attitude. And the brethren, they've just put up with it so long. They say, well, that's just brother so-and-so. You just got to overlook that. That's just the way he is, you know. So we'll just ignore it with brother so-and-so. We have to be very careful not to sin to make other people, make other people happy. Remember in Acts chapter 5 and beginning of verse 17 when the apostles were jailed just for preaching? And they bring them for the Sanhedrin, and, and Gamaliel says, you know, leave these guys alone. If it's not the Lord, it's, it's, it's just going to die out all on its own. And so they threaten them, they whip them, they scourge them, 39 lashes. And you remember what that scourging was all about. That's what happened to Jesus before he was crucified. Terrible.
terrible, terrible. I hope nobody here has been whipped like that. I have not been whipped anywhere close like that. And then they left rejoicing that they were worthy to suffer for the cause of Christ. They didn't sin to please other people. And they got whipped to a pulp because of it. And then they were rejoicing. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, the Lord is faithful in every temptation. He provides a way of escape. Sometimes that way of escape is a big old whipping. That was the case. Have you heard of the Boxer Rebellion in China? Happened in around 1900, 1898 to 1901. And there was a rebellion by these guys who were trained fighters, and they were trying to get a lot of things out of China. One thing was Christianity. And so they were going around beating up on all sorts of people, including all the Christians they could find. Everyone who disagreed with them, they are beating them up just as much as they could. There's a story, and I don't know if it's true, but it could be. During the Boxer Rebellion, some of these men came, came on to a school, and it was a, they called it a mission station. And there were 100 students inside. They blocked all the gates, and then they opened one of them. They laid a cross out in front of the one gate, and they made all 100 students come out. And they said, if you trample the cross, when you walk out of the gate, you can live. If you do not, you'll be sent immediately to the firing squad. The first seven trampled the cross. The eighth was a young girl, and she came up. She knelt down, as the story goes. She knelt down, she prayed, and walked around the cross and walked to the firing squad. She was shot. Then after that, the other 92 students walked around the cross and walked to the firing squad. I don't know if the story is true or not, but they did not sin in order to please other people. And they just didn't get a whipping out of it. They got the firing squad out of it. The Apostle Paul did not desert God to please other people. And I know the temptation is great. The temptation at school, the temptation at work, the temptation in the neighborhood is great. But we cannot succumb to that temptation. We should never sin to make anybody happy. Never. And there's going to be a price for that. And we've talked about that price before. And Jesus teaches us about that. I want to leave you with one other scripture and we'll, we'll be done for the sermon this morning. If you'll turn with me to James chapter 4 and verse 4. James chapter 4 and verse 4. And James says, You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? In other words, we have a choice to make. Are we going to be friends with the world or friends with God? Let me paraphrase. Are we going to sin in order to make people happy or are we going to be faithful to God? James says this. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And so our choice is, are we going to be a friend of God or are we going to make ourselves his enemy? God, God does not want us to be his enemy. 
But we make ourselves his enemy. Why? Because we desert him. He doesn't want us to desert him. But when we make ourselves an enemy of God, we desert him. We leave him. We abandon him. We turn our backs on him. We neglect to fulfill our duty because we desert him. This morning we've talked about two negatives. Don't desert God by following another gospel. And don't desert God by sinning in order to make other people happy. This evening we turn and we talk about three positives. Three positive things to do. Walk by faith. Walk by the Spirit. And fulfill the law of Christ. Lord willing, we'll talk about that this evening when we come together.